This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, truth seekers, and welcome back to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 212, entitled, Jesus' Misunderstood Death in John chapter 8. Yes, we are deep in the thick of things as we explore the often overlooked theme of misunderstanding within the Gospel of John, the fourth gospel. We started this study back in episode 204. You might find it beneficial to begin at that particular episode and work your way through. But you can understand this episode by itself, and so we're going to move on with our study. Our goal is to look at and study all of the significant instances of misunderstanding in the fourth gospel. Now, the theme of misunderstanding, if you haven't already committed it to memory, within the gospel of John appears something like this. Step number one, Jesus makes an ambiguous statement. Step number two, the conversation partner misunderstands Jesus' statement, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. Step number three, either Jesus or the narrator explains what Jesus meant, although sometimes the explanation is missing, but clearly implied. This week's episode will continue to look at the many misunderstandings in John chapter 8, which is the chapter with the highest frequency of misunderstandings within the Gospel of John. Today's particular misunderstanding deals with Jesus' death and the significance of this death for those who believe in Jesus and for those who do not believe in Jesus. Now, the opponents within the conversation who do misunderstand Jesus are the Jews. It's important to know, when reading the Gospel of John, that the phrase, the Jews, is a descriptive term to refer to those select Jews, not every single member of the Jewish race, but those select Jews who failed to believe in Jesus and in his God-given mission. So what does Jesus' death offer to the meaning of his messianic role? How does Jesus' death help us better understand him when he claims to be the I am he, this disputed self-declaration? And how does Jesus turn a misunderstanding of his death into a discussion about the sins of those who don't believe in him? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. First point today is looking at Jesus' death misunderstood. We're reading out of John chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse 21. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely, He will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. 
You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. And he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. That's John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. Wow, what a powerful passage where Jesus speaks about himself, about his death, and about his relationship to God. There are a few key points that I'd like to immediately pull out and get us thinking about as we continue to work through the mess and the web of this particular passage. First, we can see that as Jesus talks about going away, he tells his opponents, which the narrator describes as the Jews, that they will die in their sins. And when he elaborates on this particular death, he says that they will die in their sins unless they believe that I am he. This self-declaration. We'll have to come back and talk about this. And it's very interesting to think about this because the response from the Jews is pretty fascinating. When Jesus says that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, they are continually asking, well, who are you? Who, who are you? And it shows that Jesus' claim to be the I am he is just a simple self-declaration. I am he. It is I. I am the one. I am this particular one. And they're all sitting there thinking, well, who is it that you are? Who are you? They didn't quite understand what that means for Jesus to claim I am he, which is going to point us in a particular direction as we move to understand what Jesus did in fact mean and by definition suggesting what Jesus could not have meant by that particular phrase. It doesn't seem that his Jewish opponents, his dialogue partners, really understood what it was that Jesus was saying. Let's move on to our second point and look a little bit more closely at the particular misunderstanding that took place within this dialogue. This moves us to point number two, the theme of misunderstanding involving Jesus' death closely examined. So you'll remember that the theme of misunderstanding begins with the first point, which is Jesus making an ambiguous statement. Jesus makes the ambiguous statement in verse 21, where Jesus said, I am going away, and you will look for me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Chapter 8, verse 21. Now, of course, 8.21 is the verse that follows chapter 8, verse 20. In chapter 8, verse 20, 
the narrator tells us that nobody seized Jesus because his hour had not yet come. What is Jesus' hour? Well, his hour within the Gospel of John is the climactic moment of his salvific death, which of course involves the betrayal and the handing of Jesus over to the Jewish authorities, leading to his death on the cross. So Jesus' hour, his hour of his climactic death, his salvific death, had not yet come. And then Jesus says that where I'm going, you cannot come, and that you are going to die in your sin. So I think that Jesus here is describing the fact that he is going to go on to his death. He's going to go on to the hour of his death, the climactic moment of his death, a death that is going to be powerful. It's going to be salvific. It's going to bring Israel's story to a climax because he, as Israel's king, as Israel's Messiah, he's going to embody Israel's destiny upon his own person, thereby dying for the sins of the people. Now, it's very interesting when you look at this particular verse, we're looking at the verse where Jesus is misunderstood in verse 21. We can see in the Greek that there's a little bit more of an emphasis between Jesus and his dialogue partners. And it's hard to bring this out into English when you're typing a verse out, but there are some emphases of stress that I think are worth bringing out here. So Jesus says that I am going away, but in the Greek we have this additional independent pronoun that is used prior to the verb go away. And whenever that additional pronoun is used, it's there for emphasis. So if you're looking in your Bible and maybe you're taking some notes or you're highlighting some things, you can note that when Jesus says, I am going away, that the stress there is on that I. It's not that you would read it as, I am going away. The stress would actually be put on that first person pronoun. I am going away. That stress is there in the Greek. And then towards the end of the sentence, there is a further stress between Jesus and you, this second person plural pronoun. So at the end of verse 21, it says, where I am going, you cannot come. And with both of these pronouns, the I, the ego in Greek, and the you, which is second person plural, the emis in Greek, both of those are independent pronouns that are added in addition to the verb, which already demonstrates the subject. And so by adding those independent pronouns, they are there for emphasis. And so at the end of verse 21, the stress would be sounding something like this. Where I am going, you cannot come. There is a stress on the I and there is a stress on the you, which makes a contrast to the type of death that Jesus is going to experience in contrast to the type of death that they are going to experience, a death of dying in their sins. So it's a very important point to consider, and it's always good to look at the Greek and to see if we can pull out those intended references. Okay, let's move back on to the purpose of our study. So Jesus is 
saying an ambiguous statement here about going away, that they're going to die in their sins, but where Jesus is going to die, they cannot come, they cannot follow. So the second part is that Jesus' conversation partner misunderstands what Jesus says, either by interpreting it literally or asking an inappropriate question. We can see this in chapter 8, verse 22. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. So they interpret Jesus' death as a reference to suicide, which was a dishonorable death in most cases according to the opinion of Jews. Killing oneself was not considered something that was honorable or pleasing to God in most cases. So they think that, oh, Jesus is going to kill himself. And in doing so, they misunderstand the nature of Jesus' death. Now, they do interpret Jesus as talking about death, but Jesus was referring to a glorious, salvific, climactic death that he is confused by the Jews who think that he's talking about a suicidal death. So it gives us a little bit of clarification as to what Jesus did mean. Jesus originally was talking about going away to death, but on the other hand, his unbelieving dialogue partners are going to also die, but they're going to die in their sins. It's important to also note here in the Greek that the way that the Jews were talking, it says that so the Jews were saying, this is the imperfect tense used in Greek, eleon, they, the Jews, were repeatedly asking him this question. Surely he's not going to kill himself. And it indicates that this was an ongoing issue that they raised to what Jesus said. I know it's summarized here in one particular verse, but you've got to get the sense here that Jesus makes this ambiguous statement and the Jews misunderstand him and they are continually talking about it. They were saying, they continue to say, there was an ongoing questioning and discussion about whether Jesus is going to kill himself because of this statement. So we need to see that in the wider perspective of this dialogue and disagreement. Now the third part of the theme of misunderstanding is that either Jesus or the narrator explains the statement, although sometimes explanation is missing. And here is an instance to where there is no given explanation. Clearly, it's implied. The reader of the Gospel of John has already been initiated into the believing Christian community. The reader already knows that Jesus is someone who has died on the cross. He was raised on the third day. The reader knows what sort of death Jesus has suffered. The Gospel of John was not written to convince people who were unbelievers. It is written to bolster the faith and confidence of those who are already believers in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's move to our third and final point and look at some of the juicy details of this dialogue. We're going to look at the Christological implications to Jesus' misunderstood death in John chapter 8. Now within our passage, in chapter 8, verse 21 through 30, there are a lot of interesting things that Jesus says, and we need to take the opportunity to look at them. First of all, Jesus talks about his death repeatedly, and he doesn't qualify his death as saying, well, only part of me is going to die, 
and another part is not going to die. No, Jesus describes himself as someone who's going to die. He's going to be lifted up. Namely, he's going to be lifted up on the cross. And in doing so, Jesus depicts himself as a mortal, someone who is susceptible to death. Whatever you want to say about Jesus, he is not someone that possesses immortality. He's not someone that is incapable of dying. Those are traits that belong to God, namely the true God, to Yahweh. Jesus here is completely mortal, and he's going to die, and he's going to completely die, and there's no qualification that's given to the death of Jesus. He's going to die in the same way that every other human being dies. Now, Jesus does describe a difference between himself and his unbelieving dialogue partners. Jesus says that they are from below and that he is from above. Okay? And so here we have kind of the creation of the universe divided into two separate categories. We have the above, which is heaven. And heaven, of course, is the realm of God and those who are from above belong to God and they're identified by God. And then you have the realm that is below. The realm below heaven is, of course, going to be the earth. It's not the realm under the earth. It's not some sort of subterranean, beneath the earth sort of realm. It is the earth. So above is a reference to heaven, the realm of God, and below is the world. And the world in the Gospel of John is the created realm that is still in need of redemption. It is in need of salvation. Now, you'll have to remember that Jesus has already talked about in John chapter 3 that the new birth, the birth of water and spirit, this birth from above, is a birth that comes from God. God gives this new birth. And Jesus himself is the embodiment, the incarnation of God's word, God's personified speech, God's creative utterance. God's creative speech, God's personified utterance, became embodied in Jesus as Jesus was born. This does not give a conscious preexistence to Jesus. It means that Jesus sees himself as the continuation of God's speech, God's word, God's personified utterance. And that, of course, has come from above. It came from God. So we need to be very, very careful how we understand this from above and from below. I don't think Jesus is saying that he himself, as the Messiah, physically and consciously descended from above. He is saying that he is identified with God. He is identified with the realm from above. He truly is the Messiah who was sent by God. He's not some sort of fake Messiah. He's not a messianic pretender to where his dialogue partners who don't believe in what Jesus is saying are not actually on the side of God. They belong to the world. And the passage in chapter 8 is going to go on and describe the father of this particular world, which is actually the devil. It's Satan. And of course, the world within the Gospel of John is the realm that is in need of redemption. Now, you could also fast forward to chapter 17, verse 16, where Jesus tells the disciples that they too are not of the world. 
Why is it that the disciples are not of this world? Answer, because they have been born from above. They have been born of water and spirit. The spirit, of course, comes from God. They've been born from above, so thereby they don't belong to this world that has fallen in in need of redemption. They have already been redeemed. So that's important to point out. Now, Jesus does talk about the fact that he is this self-declaration, this phrase, I am he. Twice in our passage, we saw that. And of course, it's not the first time it's been brought up. We already saw it earlier in chapter 8 in last week's episode. But Jesus says that you must believe that I am he. And when Jesus says that you have to believe that I am he, the Jews respond by saying, who are you? And I think the fact that they don't understand what Jesus is saying there is, means that they don't recognize the significance of the self-declaration. Now, if it was completely obvious that by Jesus saying, I am he, means the divine I am figure, that is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, Yahweh is described as I am in a few places in the Old Testament, primarily in the book of Isaiah and the Septuagint, where the phrase ego me is used for God. So we have this I am declaration, this description of the true God. If Jesus was actually claiming to be the divine I am figure, then the Jews would have understood him. They probably would have disagreed, but they would have certainly understood what that means and what that signifies. But they don't. The fact that they respond by saying, who are you? indicates that Jesus' claim is more of a general self-declaration. You have to believe that I am he, that it is I, that I am the one. And of course, Jesus means that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the long-awaited messianic figure. But of course, they don't understand that. I think it's interesting that the response of the Jews shows that what Jesus says was a basic self-reference, a self-declaration, and not understood as a reference to this divine I am figure from the Old Testament. Now, it is clear in our passage that some of the Jews do, in fact, believe in Jesus. We see that in the summary statement in verse 30. Many came to believe in Jesus. I don't think that they believe that Jesus was the I am figure from the Old Testament. They believed that Jesus is the Messiah. And remember, in John's Gospel, the purpose of John's Gospel, according to chapter 20, verse 31, is that you too would believe, specifically, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so if these Jews are described as effective believers in chapter 8, verse 30, then they too believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus says that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. And I need to point out that this indicates that a certain Christological understanding is required for salvation. And by definition, an incorrect understanding of who Jesus is will result in death of one's sins. How far that needs to be pushed and enforced is up to the Christian community, but it is interesting that Jesus does place salvation at least dependent 
upon a correct understanding of who Jesus claims to be. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Of course, we need to correctly understand what Jesus means by that phrase. And I think that when Jesus claims to be I am he, he is claiming to be the Messiah. That is how the phrase I am he was first used when Jesus used it in John 4:26. He is asked about the coming Messiah, and Jesus says, the one who is speaking to you is he. I am he. I go in me. Now, in talking about his own messianic significance, Jesus has to talk about the one who has commissioned him. And Jesus says that the one who sent me is true. The one who sent me is true. Now, in last week's episode, we saw that the one who sent Jesus was someone that was not understood by the Jews. In fact, they misunderstood the one who sent Jesus. The narrator is clear here to say something that all the readers clearly understand, which is that the one who sent Jesus is the Father. But the Father is the true one. Jesus says, the one who sent me is true. And if the one who sent Jesus is true, then that means that Jesus truly is authorized by this divine sender. And you should link this passage together with John 17:3, where Jesus says that you, Father, are the only true God. So the one who sent Jesus is true. The narrator tells us that that person is the Father. Jesus later prays this Father and defines this Father as the only true God. So Jesus is basically saying here that the only true God has sent me, thereby distinguishing Jesus from the only true God. Jesus is a good Unitarian who believes that the only true God is one person, the Father alone. That is what Jesus taught, and that is what is reinforced by the narrator. Now, Jesus also speaks of himself with another reference. He uses the reference in the third person. He says that when you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. And this lifting up here is a reference to being lifted up on the cross. When you lift up the Son of Man on the cross to this hour of climactic death, of salvific death, the death that he's talking about here, then you're going to know that I am he, that I am who. Notice that Jesus here is talking about the Son of Man in the third person, but then he switches over to the first person. When you lift up the Son of Man, you're going to know that I am he. And I think Jesus is pointing to himself as this Son of Man, as this human being, this human figure who is authorized and empowered by God, according to Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. So the Son of Man is a figure that has been empowered by God, namely by the Ancient of Days. But Jesus says that this Son of Man is going to be lifted up meaning lifted up on the cross, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up to die, and of course that means that the Son of Man is mortal. We all knew this because every human being is mortal. Every human being dies. So Jesus is saying here that a human being is going to die for our sins, namely the Son of Man is going to die for our sins, and if you don't believe this, then you are going to die in your sins. Now, Jesus continually speaks as the one who has been sent by God, the true God. 
the only true God, the one who is true, has sent Jesus. And this, of course, makes Jesus an agent. As an agent, Jesus is subordinate to and fully representing the one who sent him. And it would be a fundamental misunderstanding of the principle of agency to confuse the one who is sent, Jesus, for the one who sent him, the only true God. That would be a basic misunderstanding that we cannot make. If Jesus claims to have been sent, then Jesus is claiming to be an agent of the only true God. And in doing so, Jesus makes very clear what he can do and what he cannot do. He says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. Jesus cannot do anything by himself. Now, God does whatever he pleases. God can do whatever he wants. But Jesus openly states that he does nothing on his own initiative. Jesus also emphatically states that he was taught by God. God has taught Jesus. Namely, the Father has taught Jesus. And if Jesus learned things from God, then Jesus is not omniscient. Jesus doesn't know everything because God had to teach Jesus. So that says a lot about who Jesus is. And Jesus also describes himself as someone who is an obedient agent. He always does the things that are pleasing to the Father. He always does those things that please the only true God. Jesus is obedient as a faithful agent. Now I want to have one final comment on Jesus claiming to be the I am, claiming to be this ego in me. Chapter 8, verse 23, has Jesus saying, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And there are some people, typically internet apologists, who argue that Jesus making this claim is that Jesus is claiming to be this Yahweh figure from the Old Testament, claiming that Jesus is saying that I am, or I am he, is a reference to the divine I am figure from the Old Testament. Remember, it does show up as a reference to Yahweh in Isaiah, particularly in the Septuagint, and a couple of other places, but it's most prevalent in the Septuagint of Isaiah, where egoimi is a reference to God, particularly to Yahweh. So some people have argued that Jesus is saying, unless you believe that I am, namely a reference to the divine, only true God, Yahweh, from the Old Testament, that you will die in your sins. And they say that people need to believe that Jesus is Yahweh. Now I want to look at all the things that Jesus has said in this passage and to see if that sort of reading is acceptable and persuasive. So basically, throughout this passage, Jesus has been saying the following. Jesus has said, I am the human son of man who is empowered by the Ancient of Days. I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to die on the cross, indicating that I am a mortal. I, as Jesus, am not omniscient, demonstrated by the fact that the Father teaches me things. I am obedient and I obediently learn the things that are taught to me because I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father and I never do anything on my own. I am an agent who has been sent. So clearly, unless you believe that I am this I am figure from the Old Testament, you're going to die in your sins. And I think that is just completely unlikely. It is 
historically unlikely that the original listeners or the original readers of the Gospel of John would have understood Jesus as saying this. I don't think that Jesus claiming to be this I am he figure is a reference to Yahweh from the Old Testament. I think by claiming that I am he is actually a self-reference to the Messiah. I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the long-expected one. I am the Son of God, as we see in John chapter 4, verses 25 through 26. Modern readers should stop insisting that Jesus would have made such a convoluted and contradictory claim by saying all of these things about his humanity, his mortality, his lack of omniscience, the fact that he learns things, the fact that he does obedient things, the fact that he does things that are pleasing to God, the fact that he doesn't do anything on his own initiative, the fact that he is an agent, that that would be heard as Jesus actually is the divine I am figure. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we're going to continue to work through John chapter 8 and try to make sense of this chapter that is full of misunderstandings. We're going to particularly look at the topic of freedom and the freedom that Jesus' death offers and how that freedom was misunderstood by the unconvinced Jews. So please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. My name is Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, you folks, please take care.